together with you this morning. Uh, we're continuing through a series uh, that's probably going to be going on for a long time through the book of John. We're at chapter 6 right now. Uh, and we're looking at verse 60 to 71. It's the last verses in chapter 6. So I would encourage you to turn there. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there's one in the pew in front of you. It's John chapter 6, verse 60 to 71. And as we're turning there, I'm just going to gonna pray God we need we need you we need you again this morning we need you again right now we need to hear from you we need to hear your voice and so God we um, like we just sang and prayed we invite you here um, God we ask that you would prepare our hearts to to hear your voice um, through your word this morning we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6, verse 60 to 71. I'm going to start off by reading the passage. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. God's word. I burnt my hand last week camping. I was, I was uh, trying to get a read on the temperature below the grill, and I accidentally touched the bottom of the grill, and I got a pretty good burn on my hand. It's healing nicely, but uh, it was pretty ugly. It bubbled up really big and kind of a grotesque-looking injury, and it's been really interesting because it's on my hand been really people have been commenting on it a lot and um, my neighbor who lives just below me um, she's a single woman who's in her 50s and she considers herself a part-time mother for Josh and myself she was <laughs> very concerned about uh, my injury worried about infection kind of had this this horror story of someone that that uh, got this sort of injury and had this bad infection so it's it's just been really interesting to see the concern people especially the women the concern that I take care of this really well. Um, but I actually had a, an injury on my hand a couple years ago that I didn't get a lot of attention for, but it ended up being much, much worse. Um, I was serving up at camp for the summer, and I had a hangnail on the same hand. Uh, I think it was my middle finger. And uh, it wasn't super big, but it was just kind of annoying, like hangnails are. And I've I'm someone that's had a lot of ingrown toenails. Sorry, this is kind of a gross introduction to this morning. <laughs> There's a point here, I promise. Um, 
so I think, whatever, I've had way worse than this. Um, but uh, it was, it, it kind of got, you know, there's a little bit of an infection there, and I was like, okay, oh, whatever, I'm just ignoring it. But then I noticed, like, over the next couple of days, which I thought was unrelated, my arm just began to feel, like, very, like, bruised. I felt like I'd been, like, punched in the arm really hard. Like, I like, did I have, like, a punching competition with someone? It's like, I don't remember this, like, hitting my arm at all. And then it was, like, three days later, and the what was happening got revealed. And I had this, like, uh, I don't know the medical term for it, but the infection had entered my bloodstream. And... Uh, and there was a red line, very clearly, going all the way up my arm, kind of twisting all the way. It was like right up here, like a very clear, defined red line. And so I decided to go to the nurse, and she's like, go to the hospital immediately. And uh, I went to the hospital. They, like, rushed me in, and I had got hooked up to IV because uh, I guess that's pretty serious when an infection can go to your heart and then everywhere else in your body, and then it can become a big problem. And so it was interesting to see the kind of the difference between this kind of infection compared um, to uh, something that even looked much worse than an ingrown toenail. Um, but the reason it was so much more dangerous is because an internal infection kind of works under the veneer of health. I didn't, it was just a kind of this little thing. I had this idea that I was healthy, but internally, you know, it was actually doing a lot of serious damage. And that's why it was so dangerous because what was happening below the surface made me kind of fine with it because I didn't really see any external problems. So where am I going with this? Um, I want to ask you a question, I guess. If, if Christianity is true, if what Jesus is, says is true, that he offers us redemption, that you know, we can know God as Father, we can find our true selves, we can, we can find reconciliation with Him. You know, if this is true, what do you think is more dangerous? To say outwardly and openly, I have no interest in following Jesus. So someone who's very openly not a Christian. Or is it more dangerous to follow Christ with a very false understanding of why you're doing it? Is it more dangerous to say openly, I don't want that, I'm not interested, or is it more dangerous to be in the pews every Sunday and think you get it, but you really don't? It's been interesting, it was kind of pointed out to me that if you start looking at Jesus' teaching throughout the Gospels, he's actually much more concerned with the latter. He teaches against that a lot. He's very, it's almost like he's scared about it. He's very concerned that people would think they get it, that they don't. That they would have a, they would have an internal affection, but infection, but they wouldn't be concerned about it because it's under the veneer of health. You can see this in a lot of his parables and in his reaction to people. You know, in the parable of the ten bridesmaids, they all look the same on the outside, but but five of them are really wanting, are wait, are, are really waiting for the bridegroom, and five of them are not, and in the end, five are rejected. The parable of the two houses, men are building. Houses, one on rock, one on sand, one of them um, eventually falls, and the other one stands. The parable of the four soils. The four soils are like four hearts, and the message of Jesus falls on these hearts like seed on soil. But, and three actually begin to grow, but only one ends up producing fruit. At the end of chapter 9 in Luke, a man shows up saying to Jesus, 
You know, like, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And you'd think that Jesus' response to someone that's as eager as, as this to follow him would be, great, finally I have someone that's all in, that really wants to go for it. That's great. But Jesus gives him kind of a interesting, almost cold response to this, to this eager person who wants to follow him. Um, he says, foxes have their holes, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Is this something you really want to do? And even after the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus gives several different examples of false and real discipleship. And he ends up saying, I, I did so many, he, he paints a picture of this person that at, at the end of days says, I did so many great things in your name. Jesus, I drove out demons, I performed miracles, you know, I went to church every week, I did all these great things, and Jesus kind of gives us this scary response. He says, get away from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. And so, I mean, it's, I, I know this isn't like a new insight, but I need, think we need to be reminded again and again and again that Christianity is much deeper than just doing good things or not doing bad things. There's a lot more going on internally. And in this passage, the reason I am saying all this, and this is the direction I'm going this morning, is because we see many people who are interested in following Jesus. There is a large crowd of people. They're called disciples. Jesus gives uh, a hard saying, and they leave. They're not interested in following anymore. And I think by looking at the response of the disciples in this passage and how Jesus is responding to them and then how Peter responds, we get a lot of insight into the nature of true discipleship. And so that's what I want to look at this morning, the dangers of false discipleship, um, different kinds of false discipleship, and what is the essence of true discipleship. And so we're told in verse 60 that the disciples, it says the disciples, so this is everybody, they're calling themselves disciples. These are people that are interested in what Jesus is saying. They're, they're committed enough to actually following him around. They're, they're in a sense, they've, they're in. And they started to get troubled when they hear Jesus talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's the it in, the, in verse 60. Um, upon hearing it, that's what they're... Now, Kevin spoke about this passage two weeks ago. So I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking uh, what this is. But they say, this is a hard saying. And if you look at the word hard, hard there in the, in, the, in the original language, this isn't uh, difficult to understand. It's not, they're not confused. They're not, uh, not getting it. It means it's hard to accept. We don't like this. You know, um, it's, it's, it's a profound statement, and there's profound meaning in it, but their problem, they're complaining that it's too hard to accept. They don't like it. It goes against their interest. Not that they're confused or misunderstand what Jesus is asking them. And so he's talking to the disciples. They hear this message, and it says in verse 66, many turned back and stopped following. And so in that response to the hard saying of Jesus, I would say what was always present internally got revealed externally. Just like an internal affection will always eventually reveal itself physically, 
false discipleship, which turns out just as a hidden false motive, always reveals itself externally. In this case, they actually physically stopped following him. That was the external response. They're, they're checking out. They're gone. And I, I think what we see here is, and especially as we l- think about what Jesus is saying, that the, fundament, the fundamental issue of false discipleship is that it never really comes to terms with the lordship claims of Jesus. Jesus, again, over and over again in the Gospels, is presented to us as Savior and Lord. And I think a big problem in the church today is that we really, really like the idea of Jesus being our Savior. You know, we like the idea of him rescuing us, saving us. But we are not always willing to submit to him as king, as the ruler, as the Lord, as the one who has the right to tell us how to live and how to think and how to treat each other and how to (laughs) prioritize our life. We have a little bit of a harder time with that. And I think we can even embrace him as savior. And if we're not coming to him as Lord, we're not really coming to him at all. Romans 10, 9, which is a great kind of summary statement of what it means to come to faith in Christ, says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's accepting him as Savior, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. We need to come to him as Savior and Lord, or we're not really coming to him on his terms at all. And so the idea here is that actually both Christians and non-Christians have a better grasp of the claims of Christ. Both Christians and non-Christians actually have a better idea of what Christ is really saying here when it comes to his authority. Because they have either accepted it or rejected it. But either way, they know, they know what it is. So even non-Christians, in a sense, are more in touch with who Jesus is because they understand their lives would have to change. And so again, this is why we're back at the how dangerous false discipleship is because um, we're actually losing touch of who Jesus says he is. So the disciples are, are doing in this situation because they don't like what he's saying about eating flesh and blood. So why is that important? How is that a lordship claim? Um, Kevin went into this before, but Jesus is, Jesus is basically saying here that you need to, when you're taking in my flesh and blood, he's, again, he's not... He's not trying to be graphic or um, talk about cannibalism in any way whatsoever. He's talking about taking him in, receiving him. He's the bread of life. This is full of Old Testament imagery that the crowd there would have absolutely understood. He says, he's saying, I need to be the one that you're looking for. I need to be the one that you're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. And you cannot do all those things. You cannot view me that way unless you're willing to let go control of your own life. Barbara Boyd, who is a um, Christian author and speaker, says, the difference between a real follower of Christ and a generally moral person is the word if. Persons that are more generally moral but ultimately maintain control of their own lives, they always say, I'll obey God if. If it doesn't cost me career success, if it doesn't cost me relationships, romantic or friendship or, or familial, 
relationships. I'll obey God if it doesn't cost me material comfort. I'll obey God if it doesn't cost me a certain level of income. I'll obey God if it doesn't cost me the idea that someone else is going to be dependent on me. So in other words, if you said, I'd like to obey God if, whatever's on the other side of that if, is probably a source of idolatry in your life. That's a good way of kind of examining ourselves and figuring out what's going on. If. And so for each one of us, this is going to be very different. But when Jesus says we have to take him in, we have to eat his flesh, drink his blood, he's saying that he needs to be that thing. That there is, there can't be an if. And so Jesus can't just be our teacher, he can't just be our example, he can't just be the source of comfort or peace for us. Jesus has to be everything. And so a person who's, who's uh, not a Christian is essentially saying, yeah, I see the claims of Jesus, I understand the authority that I need to give up, but I don't want that. I don't want to give that kind of authority to God. Now they might have tons of different reasons as to why they would not want to do that, but that's essentially what they're saying. I don't want to give him that. A person who's a, a genuine Christian is someone who says, to give, that, to give Jesus that kind of authority will be very hard, but he's created me and he loves me and I owe him everything. And so I'm, by his strength, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him this. I'm going to need a lot of help. But he's my only hope. That's who someone's a Christian thinks. That's how it should, that should be their mentality. But a false Christian is someone who generally agrees with the claims of Jesus, lives a fairly moral life, sometimes prays, you know, probably sometimes gives money away, but when it comes right down to it, has never really wrestled with or grasped the lordship claims of Jesus. Have you ever put a coin into a vending machine and it not uh, fallen all the way down? You know, you hear like the, you hear those very specific noises that confirms that it has gone all the way down to the bottom. You know, you put it in and you don't, no pop, no chocolate bar, no bag of chips. The coin went in, but it didn't drop to where it actually needs to go. This is where the expression, the penny has dropped, comes from, back when they didn't cross a penny, apparently. Um... (laughs) But unless the coin goes all the way down to the bottom, it does not actually engage the machine and produce what it was meant to produce. And so we, the same thing can happen to us with the gospel. It can go in, 